That Naturopathic Podcast. TNP. Hello there. Hi, and thanks for joining us. I'm Dr. Cara Denisio. And I'm Dr. David Miller, and we hear your frustrations. This show is for you. This show is for you if you're feeling like your current healthcare strategy is not getting to the root cause or the underlying reasons for your health. This show is for you if you've been told that you're fine, but you definitely don't feel very well. This show is for you if you're walking out of your doctor's office with one, two, three, four, or even five medications without any mention of diet, lifestyle, or a long-term game plan. This show is for you if you've got several specialists taking care of you, but no one is really putting it all together. This show is for you if you believe that health should be part of health care. These problems have solutions. We know it. Our patients know it. And we want you to know it. Naturopathic medicine is the solution that you need to know about. Hello and welcome to another episode of That Naturopathic Podcast. I'm Dr. Dave. I'm Dr. Kara. And we are very happy to have Dr. Benjamin Snyder with us today. Um, Dr. Ben is a naturopathic doctor that I really look up to. I think he's really, really good. Uh, well, he's a great clinician. I know this firsthand because uh, he took care of me when I was in, I think I was in second year or third year. He was my intern and he was awesome. Uh, so he's an excellent clinician. He's an excellent guy. Uh, Kara says he's a lot like me, so that's probably all I'm talking to two Dave-like endies today. <laughs> so we're really excited to have Dr. Ben here. He's... Um, uh, practicing in Kitchener-Waterloo. He's going to be uh, soon opening a clinic called Functional Medicine Uptown in Waterloo. And uh, he's who I send everyone from that area to go see. So I'm totally biased, but he's brilliant. And I think you'll get a lot of right brain, left brain stimulation from Dr. Ben. So welcome, Dr. Ben. Hi, Dr. Ben. Hi, guys. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here for sure. Well, I didn't. I I over uh, I overlooked mentioning what we're going to talk about today. So I'll just leave it to you, maybe to start off and tell uh, listeners what we're going to be talking about today. Sure, sure. I think um, we're going to dive into the world of pain um, as it relates to joints and muscles or nerves. Um, I think the etiology of the cause is all the same. So I think if we if we focus in and jump into the common causes of of pain syndromes, then we're going to, we're going to help the most people that way. Um, and, and this was a topic you came up with, I think, in conversation with Dave pretty quick. I think that was, you know, the one off the top of your head saying, I need to talk about pain. And why do you think that is? Yeah, I mean, I, I think primarily for me, because I have a story with it, and we can get into that in a second, but also because in terms of chief concerns, I, I probably see it more than anything else. Um, obviously, you know, people are coming in with a lot of gut concerns, um, hormone concerns, thyroid, adrenal axis stuff, but, but uh, pain is, it can, can be different in terms of how it, it uh, disrupts activities of daily living and quality of life. So um, mm-hmm. I'm just passionate about it. And I, I get a lot of, uh, I, 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 feel, I feel a lot of satisfaction when when I can help someone with pain specifically, yeah, it's a, it's a number one driver we know for people seeking out any care. Like, there's pain is like the thing. Like any any practitioner who deals with pain uh, usually doesn't have a problem getting people in the door because it's a number one driver for people to seek out help. Um, but one of the things you were saying is that you want to sort of talk about different maybe viewpoints of looking at pain. Do you want to sort of delve into that a little bit? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think if, 
if maybe we could start by talking about the the forest, right? Forest for the trees instead of the the specifics and sort of paint a general picture of what's happening in a body um, that is allowing pain sure. to develop in the first place. And then we can get into maybe the nitty gritty stuff if, if we want. Um, but I think, yeah, the, the most important thing to realize with, with our pain stories is that they originate in the mitochondria and, and the mitochondria are just little organelles in a cell um, that drive energy and essentially pain is developing when the energy production of those little organelles um, are unsatisfactory. And, and that leads to a whole slew of different, a uh, whole slew of uh, a, a different chemical soup that, that creates muscle damage or joint damage or, or nerve damage. But um, there's specific things with the mitochondria that, cause that cell to to create a tissue and then an organ or a muscle that is that is driving pain and really that has to do with with water and and light and i think these are a couple unconventional ways of looking at a pain picture but um i think it's important because they're they're commonly they're commonly missed and i think a lot of the reason why why people aren't getting better or relying on you know NSAIDs or medications or even even just like a supplement uh, approach to pain is, is because they're not looking at some of these these uh, environmental pieces. I'm sure people listening would have guessed or if there's practitioners listening for sure. Um, when you say, you know, one of the main underlying drivers for pain, I'm sure the word that actually first came to my my brain is inflammation. And so yeah, yeah. I'd love just to hear, you know, that that I think is more the colloquial or common thought of a driver of pain. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that's the common approach, as you said, with anti-inflammatories, whether it's natural or medication wise. How does the pain, um, how does inflammation fit in with what you're talking about on that broader um, problem of mitochondria? There's no question that there is a relationship between inflammation and and pain and and I think for our conversation, as long as we take it back a little bit further, a little bit more upstream and and look at, well, what's what's driving the inflammation, right? Is is it to do with diet? Is it to do with lifestyle? Is it um, to do on a cellular level with with the mitochondria? And so I think as as we frame this question around what is is causing my pain syndrome, I think if we we frame it in the context of what's happening at the level of of my mitochondria, then then I think we're looking at it as as deeply as as we can, and we can sort of sort of talk about different different things that may be influencing the mitochondria's ability to produce energy or not. Um, so, so you're really asking what set the fire? Yeah, yeah, exactly. What what conditions exist? in my mitochondria or don't that are creating this level of tissue damage, um, whether it's a muscle or a bone or a nerve, et cetera. So, so yeah. And that, that's sort of where we could. Sorry, sorry to interject just, just to be um, like precise here. Are, are we talking generally 
about chronic pain more so than acute pain is is that a is that like right. some assumption yeah yeah for okay. sure dave yeah yeah i think i think most of what what we'll be talking about here is is to do with with chronic pain um yeah there's probably similar mechanisms um with like an acute injury but uh that that is a different story for sure yeah okay and what what's what are the types of things that you're seeing in your clinic? You know, what types of patients are walking in the door with chronic pain? Or I think you'd even mentioned you have a personal story, and I think we'd love to hear that too. See yeah. what's driving yeah, you maybe, in maybe, this clinical. Maybe it, it'll help if I, I share a quick snippet from my my history, and then I can talk a little bit about some of the the common chief concerns I see. But yeah, my my story with pain started super young. I was about five years old when I started to experience debilitating, like 10, 10 out of 10 um, leg and, and arm pain. And so I had extremely hot and swollen knees, um, extremely hot and swollen hands. Um, so bad, in fact, that I wasn't able to walk up or down the stairs. I, I still have memories of, of walking up the stairs and sort of crashing in in, in pain, um, calling up to my parents, um, for some help because I, I, I literally just couldn't, couldn't push through it. Um, so it, it had gotten to the point where it was, it was debilitating and, uh, sort of went through some conventional routes at that point. Our family wasn't connected with, with naturopathic medicine and conventional medicine offered, uh, an explanation sort of to, to this effect that it was growing pains and uh, anyone that was as active as I was would, would sort of be experiencing some of these pains as well. And obviously that didn't, <clears throat> that didn't land well with any of us. Um, and the p- pain continued and continued and it just got worse. And I would wake up in the middle of the night with like extreme cramping on my arms and I'd have to run in and my, I remember my dad rubbing my arms and that would sort of offer a little bit of relief, but but anyways, like I, I, I'm sure one of the reasons why um, I'm interested in talking about this with patients um, is because of my own history with it, and and I know it's a it's a pretty slippery slope, right? If you if you're if you miss the cause, um, you know, you get into some serious medications. Like I, I, I'm, I'm guessing at that point, if I wouldn't have found help, it would have there would have been steroids or prednisone prescription at some point, and then it's just you're in for a ride. Um, so I'm, I'm beyond grateful mm-hmm. to have found some, some support at that point then eventually. And um, it was actually uh, the man who became my mentor, George DeWitt, who, who offered some, some lifestyle and diet and supplement advice. And, and I was able to, uh, to heal my, my pain. So Ben, I th- I think this is partly why you have such an advantage on me <laughs> and a lot of other naturopaths is because you have and correct me if I'm wrong, but I I believe like you've been sort of engrossed or or uh, touched at least by naturopathic medicine medicine because of this. I didn't know this part. I didn't know they had this history with pain. All I knew is that you uh, you saw a naturopath, or was he a Cairo at that point, or was yeah, he a naturopath? Yeah, yeah. Technically, he he was a DC, um, yeah. but he was a pl- practicing something called applied kinesiology or clinical kinesiology, and he would right. He was he was much more a naturopath than I would say a conventional DC, and 
and through the, his his testing methods was able to to really listen to my body right and figure out you know what what was going on on a causative level and and make the changes um so yeah so this yeah, is where I mean, like every cell of your body's into naturopathic medicine right because you've, you've been into this i think you had a head start you know that i think that's maybe you know why why you're such a great uh clinician and your 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 breadth of knowledge is so good is because you're into it earlier um so i i didn't know that was the sort of origins of this but um that's cool to have a mentor from that early on and, and be touched by a naturopathic medicine that early. When I see people now, uh, young kids uh, in my practice, I'm like, this is so cool because there's so many more young people being exposed to, uh, you know, different complementary kinds of medicine at a younger age and makes it, you know, uh, less weird and, and more uh, yeah. well understood. More acceptable. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It was, Obviously, it started and shaped my career path, and it was just a a pure act of grace that that we we came across his work, and uh, certainly, yeah, has shaped who I am now and and how I I view a body and and the healing process. And I assume then that you have a lot of patients that you can identify with their stories because it's that same drive of pain; they're not finding answers. And they're coming to you. Um, are your are your patients? Do they have similar stories of of pain driving them into your office? For sure. Yeah, yeah. I think there's there's no question. I mean, I've I've done some sharing about my story, and I think when people connect with that, they're they're more interested in in coming in and and sharing their own, um, knowing that I've been through something similarly. Um, and, and then obviously can apply some of the same principles that I used for my own body um, mm-hmm. with their bodies. And uh, yeah, you know, it, it, it reminds me, I don't know if we, you want to jump into a, a case story, you know, right now, but it, it certainly reminds me of, a, of, of one of the patients that I, that I saw just in this last year that had a very similar story to, to mine, although, you know, a different set of circumstances. He was a, an ex-hockey player. Um, a professional hockey player, and he was going through debilitating um, osteoarthritis um, in both knees and shoulder as well. And uh, he was just coming up sort of dead end after dead end in terms of his search for, for pain resolution. And, and we, you know, we worked him up in a similar way that I would anyone with, with a pain story, but, but learned from him, um, and his some of his diagnostics that he was he actually had a a really well there were two infections that were driving his his inflammation that were the root of his his knee pain and so we found we found a hookworm uh, in his gut um, and we found really high levels of Helicobacter pylori and and strep and and actually a, a bacteria called Prevotella these are just drivers of inflammation in, in his digestive system that were ravaging his, his joints. So he, he, he's made an, an incredible um, turnaround and has gone from, yeah, 10 out of 10 to one out of 10 in his, in his pain scores. And um, it, it's just one, one small example, right. Of how, when you can put your finger on, on the, the chief concern in that particular person, how, how quickly the body can heal itself. And as soon as those obstacles were removed, he, 
he was able to regain function and 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 get back into his body. And then put a few more bar down. <laughs> you what? Sorry. You know, and, and then put a few more, uh, get a few more goals bar down. You know, the, all the hockey boys say bar down. I just thought I'd throw in a little Canadian. Yeah, I didn't yeah. get that. Yeah. Bar down? You don't <laughs> no, know that? Nah, I'm not. A... <laughs> you got to say it more like bar down. <laughs> Anyway, a little little relief, little comic relief attempted. Anyways, um, Ben, I want to talk. I want to talk to you about uh, the gut of this particular uh, fellow. Like, yeah, you yeah. found hookworm and privatella. Now, I'm assuming. I mean, I'm assuming there was some gut symptoms going on. So here's immediately what I mm-hmm. think as a as a sort of um, minimalist naturopath. I go, okay, does he have any gut symptoms? Uh, at all and what like when you first work them up and first see him and then did you treat those first or did you jump right into testing for things like prevotella and hookworm um, right. right away what did you do yeah and, and actually this is a good a good point Dave because th- this patient was a rare circumstance in that he didn't have any gut symptoms so so the, the thinking on, on on my part was was we know the role, right, of, of leaky gut, intestinal permeability, and infection in in systemic inflammation and pain. So I just I, I, I wanted to get a, a snapshot, a picture. So we ran comprehensive gut testing, uh, a stool sample for him, and uh, this is where these these bugs came up. And as soon as I saw that, I, I knew probably over the last two or three decades what was was causing that that level of joint breakdown that he was experiencing. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, to, to answer your question for sure, if, if there's a gut picture, it confirms it even more, but I think as clinicians, it's, it's also important to remember that there sometimes isn't, isn't overt GI distress and yet still factors existing in that gut that, that are driving disease, um, so, so yeah. No, that's really that's really interesting because that'll that, I mean I always learn from these podcasts from other experts like you and that'll sort of probably influence how I treat my patients too because I'm I always am sort of like you said I'm I'm minimalist I'm looking for the the minimal intervention to get the most impact and if I didn't see any gut symptoms I probably like I would but admit, you mi- but you might Dave because um, I think that the severity dictates the. Um, the degree of assessment, right? So mm-hmm. if you'd seen this patient in front of you, just debilitated, like an active guy, you know, crippled with mm-hmm. pain, then perhaps, you know, as Ben did, you know, nothing's off the table with respect to let's just do it all. Yeah, Ben, did you just sort of go like something right here? I need to do like your, your first sort of cursory glance or your first sort of uh, level one assessment, you know, looking at your basics and all that, as I know you, you do. Um, did you just go, mm, something ain't right. I'm going to go a little deeper on a, on a something where what's likely to give me some yield. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And, and it's become sort of a standardized test too, that I do for pain. So it, 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 it wasn't as though I was okay. thinking, yeah, this guy is, is for sure, you know, riddled with parasites. Um, although I will say just as an aside, um, I, I have found really interesting, correlations between parasites and hips and shoulders specifically. So um, it, it may be one thing to sort of just 
yeah, standardize more in terms of diagnostics when when we're meeting people with with uh, with joint inflammation, especially in in those two areas. Um, That's interesting because it it goes along with what I what I see with my visceral manipulation. So um, I do sort of like I do is kind of osteopathic uh, abdominal uh, work and. Uh, because I really believe we need to know how the structures of the guts uh, work if we want to know how they function, which is not that crazy, really. But anyway, um, what I see is <clears throat> there's a lot of correlations with uh, shoulders and liver and stomach. So because mm-hmm. there's there's some actual, like, this is not strange. This is pure anatomy, maybe not, like, perfectly understood or or conventionally understood anatomy, but there's just there's visceral somatic sort of reflexes and there's a lot of issues with stomach and liver and shoulders and neck and then uh, hips and the colon uh, ascending and descending colon. So, I mean, I don't know if that colors a little bit what you already know, but I've just noticed that from following my hands, um, like people, I'll, I'll move the colon and their hip pain gets better immediately. So there's some, I don't know if it's like the bacteria are translocating between those areas or whatever. Um, but yeah, I just thought I'd add that, that I, I, I can confirm. I see there's some sort of correlation there. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love it. And, and I think that's an important message for listeners too, right? Because it's a way for people to listen to their bodies, um, to think about what's happening with the shoulder or what's happening with the hips or what's happening with the, the hamstrings in terms of what's happening with the gut. Right. Um, it can be, it can be really important insight to to get um, some feedback about what's happening in those in those systems. So, um, yeah, it's it's. I mean, the the goal here, right, is is to become our own doctors and and how we can use our our bodies as as diagnostics. Um, how can we use our symptoms as as clues to to follow a particular trail? So. Um, yeah, no, I think that's that's important, Dave, for sure. And, and and I like to, and I appreciate, you know, your approach in terms of um, becoming as minimal as as possible as as you're working with patients. And I think that that applies and is super relevant to to our work with pain. I, I think we can get super heady and super complicated about how to address it, um, but really we need to boil it down to some really simple, basic environmental sort of interventions, you know, as it pertains to, to water <laughs> and as it pertains to, to light and sun and the rock that we live on. Like there, there are so many really simple ways that we can really get to the heart of these pain stories without uh, it, it being overwhelming. So I, let, let's go there because I think I would love <clears throat> I love what you say about um, you, get, you know our patients being their own doctor. So now that they've started thinking, okay, is there a connection between inflammation, gut? That might be something or an avenue that they're going down. Mm-hmm. What other avenues or um, underlying causes, especially some of those words you just said, let's go into some of those things like yeah. water and light yeah. uh, that our listeners can think of with respect to their pain. For sure. So, so yeah, why don't, why don't we flesh out the water 
the water story first and and then and then we could go into to light maybe but i think not just with pain but when we look at any any level of degeneration or illness we we need to look at it in terms of intracellular dehydration so the level of of water inside versus outside a cell um water is our ultimate detoxifier right it 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 does an amazing job at scrubbing down um cellular debris or metabolic breakdown products inside a cell and so if we're really looking at pain as a mitochondrial dysfunction we have to figure out you know what's what's predisposing or what's creating that that mitochondria to wear down and and getting the right amount of water and the right type of water into a cell is is critical so so that that's relevant to how much water we're drinking obviously um the type of water that we're drinking um and 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 I think you know this is always a a contentious you know sort of topic and we don't have to get into too much detail but just just wanted to highlight how important it is to to get pure filtered water in a, in a in a quite high quantity um with proper electrolytes it's the electrolytes that will help um drive the water in across the cell membrane and into the cell um cytosol so it's it's um it's really important that that this is one of the primary things that we think about if if we're living a life of of pain um yeah, yeah. It feels like it's a it's a recommendation that almost people don't hear anymore because every practitioner yeah, or everybody so will say, "Drink more water." I know I should drink more water. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. So, could you maybe like throw down some some water, uh, like water treatment? Like how how do our listeners do this effectively um, at home? Yeah. Yeah, and, and yeah, for sure. And I, I think it's it's important to to realize that it's not necessarily about drinking a, a lot of water. And I think that's why this message has been lost on a lot of people, or or sort of glazed over. You could say diluted. There's lots of people drinking a lot of water and still being extremely, still intracellularly dehydrated. Um, and and yeah, it doesn't actually just have to do with with our water itself, although. Let's let's flesh that out for a second. So my, sure. my favorite water filter is is for sure uh, it it's called AquaTrue, um, and it's it's an RO it's a countertop RO system, and you can get it uh, online at Home Depot, um, for example, Neat. not through their website. And it's it's the economics of it are reasonable. It's not a you know a thousand dollar under counter unit like. Sometimes you have to invest in, but but essentially this is allowing all the contaminants, um, the glyphosate, the chlorine, you know, bacteria, the metals, <clears throat> whatever it is in your particular area of the world. Um, and by RO, you mean reverse osmosis? Re- reverse osmosis, yeah, yeah. And I'm glad you spoke before I did about that because I was going to say I assume you don't recommend any RO water like Desani or Desani or whatever it's called, right, because right. I thought then you're not going to get your electrolytes. So I'm glad you spoke before me. What, what's, um, what's the deal with RO? Like maybe a quick, a quick uh, explanation of RO reverse osmosis. Yeah. Yeah. So it, 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 it's true. It's, it's problematic if it, if it's the, the only water that you're drinking. Um, 
because it it essentially not takes doesn't just take out the impurities right it takes out all the the minerals that are that our cells need to be their best um, so it's just step one of the process so you have to start with that as a baseline um, and run it through the filtration system and then you just add back in in terms of magnesium and chloride and sodium and potassium in an electrolyte formula to charge your water effectively um, so that your body knows what to do with it. Because otherwise it just sort of, you take a ton in, it gets into your blood, into your extracellular matrix, and then you just pee it out. <laughs> and and this is sometimes the problem with supplements too, right? If you don't have you know, the proper charge um, on a cell membrane, you, you, you just, you lose it. You lose it. Um, so this so, has to be so one of the first things that you do to, you know, set up conditions where you can heal your pain. So just a, like a, a quick summary, if it's if this is right, does this mean that it's it's the crap that comes with the water that's the problem? Because what you're doing with the it sounds like with what your process is, and I don't I don't <clears throat> again you're the expert here, but it sounds like you're removing everything like with a broad mm-hmm. sweep. I'm removing everything and then only adding what I need. Yeah, uh, is this just because the water is so dirty? Like compare it to maybe. Uh, a couple thousand years ago, maybe there was like perfectly clean water somewhere. You wouldn't need to do this, right? Is this just a, a, a result of uh, pollution and uh, like our environmental sort of conditions that we live in? Yeah, yeah, ab- absolutely, Dave. Um, you know, our, our water we know is contaminated with the small amounts, trace amounts of glyphosate, their metals, their hormones, um, you know, antibiotics, birth control pills that are getting flushed down, you know, municipal water systems that are ending up in, in our water. And, and yeah, the municipalities are doing a good job, right, of filtering these, but there's still trace amounts that are left over, right? And, and these, are, these are contaminants that even in small amounts, we don't want to be adding into our system um, seven, eight, nine, ten, ten times a day, um, right. So anyways, this, this, yeah, so RO is a process where, where we're removing those and then and then we need to ask the question, well, what, what does our water need to be like? And and we know that it needs these, these electrolytes added in order to transport that water molecule across a cell membrane. Um, and can you give our listeners an idea of, of how you're replacing those? Yeah, so I'm, I'm using a, a product called Concentrase. Um, it's a simple electrolyte drop and, and I'm doing about 40 drops of that per day spread across, you know, my two and a half liters of water essentially. So just, you know, it's that, about it's four, four drops per cup of water is what you would want to aim for. Um, and so we, we use an aqua true system and I just, you know, dispense the water and then I add, add the drops back in and, and, and that, um, that's taking care of the water conversation. But, but the first thing that I do with pain patients is I do a hydration protocol with them where, where I'm getting them to, to do four ounces of filtered water every 30 minutes and every other four ounces of water, they're putting back an electrolyte like concentrates. Um, now, there are lots of electrolytes on the market, but that, that's just the one that I've, I've chosen to, to use. Um, it's very inexpensive and, and simple, but... Um, and with yeah. that minimal step, which is is really beautiful 
uh, something everyone needs, but what, what do you see in changes in pain just with that step? Yeah. Yeah. You know, that, that's interesting Kara. I, I, I don't know if I've ever just done that to be honest. Um, so I, I, I don't know what percentage of, of patients would, would improve with, with that alone, but you know, based on these two things that we're talking about with, with water and with light, if, if we were just to do those, I, I bet, I bet 75% um, of the patients coming in with pain would, would notice clinical benefits from that um, in and of itself. Um, you know, think about if, if we just think about water as a natural detoxifier, right? Think about all the things in our system that we're, we're trying to detoxify on a daily basis that are contributing to the inflammation that are driving knee pain or muscle pain or, or shoulder pain. I mean, it's, there's no point in doing any detoxification until you can ensure that your intracellular water is bolstered and, and at an ideal and optimal level. Um, so, and are you testing that, Ben? Are you, are you testing uh, intracellular, extracellular water? Yes. Yeah. 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 So you, you can use a bioimpedance measurement. Uh, it's called the right. phase angle. And it's, it's a direct correlation um, of your in, of your intracellular water stores, and it ranges anywhere from three and a half, which is essentially death, um, to to ten, which is um, you know optimal vitality. So most of the population ranges somewhere in the this the five to six to seven range. Um, but with that one intracellular water measurement, we can essentially if if you're above seven, it's it's virtually impossible to get sick. Um, if you can keep your intracellular water up above that range, it's, it's, a, it's an insurance policy against, against pain, certainly. Um, and then sort of if you get drier and drier and drier, cancer sort of set, settles in at about a phase angle of four. And then obviously as, as, as the body passes away, it, it happens at around 3.5. So it's, it's a really nice spectrum, right, of, of looking at and assessing um, yeah, of your, your intracellular water and, and mitochondrial capacity. So basically with, with this hydration protocol, you're just sort of setting the groundwork at least, like even even if it doesn't do it all on its own, and it, it probably wouldn't be like, oh, the next day I feel amazing, right? But I think our mm-hmm. little human brains want things to be so fast and dramatic and immediate. Uh, but really, I think we know as we get better as clinicians uh we have to like be patient and set the groundwork for processes that depend upon sort of lower more important processes in a way like i talk about hierarchies and things like that like you know there's atom there's there's molecule then there's cell then there's tissue then you know i mean so if you have to have the the health of the smaller bits before the larger bits which are composed of the smaller bits can function properly absolutely yeah it's such a good point like you know this phase angle thing that we're talking about it, it takes like three to six months to change <laughs> so you you're not budgeting your phase angle with one good night's sleep or a couple days right. of good eating or juicing like it it takes you know it takes months and months to move from five to six and then six to seven so it's it's so important to realize as we're as we're working with this this water question that it's going to take six to 12 months for sure. So you're setting people up with that, that expectation of a quarter or a half a year for things to really sustainably budge. 
Is there yeah. anything that you do in the interim to sort of like help uh, keep them <laughs> interested or help help them sort of like symptomatically? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So the there's a lot of good sort of strategies in the short term to deal with pain, like this light, infrared light exposure, you know, we can get into a little bit, um, cold thermogenesis, so cold plunging essentially um, are going to provide really quick, um, yeah, sort of a, a sign that the body can, can heal. It's not going to be get them to their 10 out of 10, right? Um, but it's going to give them evidence that, yeah, my body can do this. And I'm happy with this 10% in the first couple of weeks because in a month it's going to be 20%. Um, so, yeah, you know, and there are lots of dietary strategies that we could get into too if you want in terms of fasting and, and how fasting can, can help flush out inflammation and regenerate a joint and, um, you know, certainly looking yeah, at the infection. I think your your start with water is such simple sophistication. It's beautiful. And I, I think our listeners are probably thanking you for just a mm -hmm. step that they can start doing. And so you've you've mentioned a few things and I'm going to just repeat them back to you because I don't want to let you off the hook before <laughs> we actually get these like this gold from you. Um, sure. So you've mentioned I want to talk about light. Um, you've mentioned uh, sleep. Uh, uh, cold thermogenesis, fasting diets. Um, and I think you've mentioned um, even some more mental, emotional writing exercises. So can we literally flush through those? Because uh, yeah. I think there's so much wisdom in all of that that we need to hear. Let, let's tie in maybe the, so we started talking about the mitochondria and, mm -hmm. and we know the mitochondria to be sort of chiefly involved with ATB production. And this is like the energy currency, right? This is the energy molecule that is driving life. Um, but one of the things that's been discovered with light specifically is that the mitochondria have these photoreceptors for infrared light. So it, one, one of the most beautiful sort of hacks, this is, and this is the only sort of place where I feel comfortable using the term biohack, but about 500 million years ago, <laughs> our, our, our animal cells hacked bacteria and brought them into our, uh, into our cellular um, symphony. And, and that's what the mitochondria is now, right? It's just ancient bacteria. But these bacteria, they have on them four uh, photoreceptors. Um, cytochrome C oxidase is the name of these, these light receptors. And they, they receive now infrared light from our sun and produce energy for us. So um, it's, you're getting, when we look at mitochondrial deficiency and we talk about it from a water perspective, um, we also need to talk about it from a light deficiency perspective too. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm convinced that the reason why chronic pain is affecting anywhere from one to 10 to four out of 10 people um, is because we're we're severely light deficient as well. Um, you know, we're joining we're you today more. from Gray County, Ben. Yeah. Yeah, Which, well, I, and I just read a news article this morning saying Owen Sound has the least amount of sunlight in all of Ontario. So yeah, we're listening <laughs> for sure. And and anyone in Canada 
you know, who I'm sure most of your listeners are from, yeah, we're just so high up in relation to the equator that even even our summer light is is dilute. Um, but but this infrared light, when it hits the the skin, it penetrates, you know, up to four inches, and it it activates these little mitochondria to upregulate their ATP production. Now now we're singing, right? Now we're now we're producing energy. Uh, at a rate, we're protecting our genetic material. We're we're flushing out metabolic waste products. We're we're healing our bodies. Um, so the the simplicity of a pain approach is 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 really apparent when we when we just look at it from these these two these two perspectives. Um, you know, I think the the other part of this conversation, guys, and I. I and I think this is important. It certainly was for me as I, as I started to wrap my head around exactly what's happening with, with light and mitochondria. There has been this, this fourth phase of water discovered by Gerald Pollack. And I, I, I'm guessing you guys have, have come across his stuff. But he, he's a researcher um, that found that infrared light is essentially creating uh, another phase of water um, above and beyond the steam and the liquid and the solid state that we, we learned in whatever, grade eight science. Um, but there's this gel phase of water that is a really important part of our, our pain conversation because of how it's charging our, our mitochondria and, and our cell membranes. So um, this infrared light is, being, is, is, is responsible for creating this fourth phase or this gel phase of water inside a cell. And it's that, it's that water that is creating this electrical gradient across the cell membrane. And that, that's what's ultimately drawing in extracellular water into the inside of the cell. It's not, it's not the, the mitochondria itself, or it's not the type of water necessarily um, as important as that is. It's, it's the electrical charge across a cell membrane um, that is like a battery pulling pulling water and nutrition from from our extracellular space to our intracellular space. Um, All right, so Ben, I want to I want to ask about this infrared uh, light. So I already yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I failed with a joke earlier, so I won't look any sillier than that. But anyway, um, the infrared you're talking about is this possibly why? Uh, infrared sauna can be helpful in many cases with detoxification. Is there, is that the same sort of light or do I look silly again? No, no, for sure. It's it's absolutely more to do with the light than the heat. Although the heat is important and you know, there's, there's a lot of reasons why that is, but it's, it's the infrared light that is structuring our water intracellularly. And this structured water then is pushing solutes, toxins, uh, impurities out of the cell um so now you flush it into the extracellular space and the lymph can pick it up and we can we can detoxify it but it it starts with uh it starts with this infrared light exposure and that can come in the form of a a regular light bulb um, or ideally the sun um or or an infrared sauna so do you use sauna in in your life or in in practice yeah so I mean, for me personally, I'm, I'm using a sauna every morning with, with, uh, I've jimmied up, uh, an infrared light because I have a, a dry sauna. It's not an infrared sauna. So I, I sit in, in this sauna for 10, 15 minutes every morning 
and and I blare this this near infrared light on as much skin as possible, and and that is um, pretty much. I mean, I'm I'm doing other things for myself, obviously, but that's pretty much my my go to sort of lifestyle intervention for energy and yeah, pain prevention and even fo- things like focus and concentration. So yeah. Yeah. In this part of the world, you got it. You got it. You have to consider artificial light um, mm-hmm. because we're just not getting, we're just not getting enough. So I could, I could send you guys a link for your listeners that you could, you could post, um, you know, we, we use a sauna space light. It's uh, saunaspace.com and they have a, a thermobulb it's called and they, it's putting off really intense infrared light. Um, and you just need one that you set up in a, in a regular socket and uh, get as much of that um, as possible uh, as early in the day as possible. Ideally. That's fantastic. And again, that's just such simple medicine because mm-hmm. it's a, it's a cost barrier for a lot of people to have an infrared sauna in their, yeah. um, in their house. I had one early in my career and had to sell it to uh, pay my taxes, which <laughs> I'm quite begrudging now, um, but uh, but it's great. That's a that's amazing to hear that it's actually the light and that a simple light bulb uh, can circumvent the cost barrier of actually having an infrared sauna. Okay, hit in with another one of your rapid fire things you didn't want to let them off the hook on. Yeah, we, uh, can you if you remember the list? Is there another one that bounces off? We've done infection, water. Um, light. light. What? What's next? Um, yeah, I mean, I think maybe a quick, uh, a quick uh, conversation on heavy metals um, as it relates to pain. I think we're living in a time when when lead is a huge problem. I mean, there are reports out again just in the last week in the news about yeah. you know water being contaminated with lead. Um, I know in a couple high schools in KW here they're they've had to shut down water fountains because lead has become such a problem. And, and this is also central in, in a discussion around pain because of what these metals are doing to, to collagen specifically. So essentially, you know, things like mercury from our teeth or from, from fish or lead from water. Um, these, these metals are stealing sulfur groups from our collagen and, and essentially damaging collagen. So our, the protection and lubrication inside of a hip, inside of a knee running along our spine is compromised whenever our body is carrying these metal burdens. So we, we do a lot of testing for, for these metals with our pain patients just to see how much uh, their bodies are carrying. But yeah, it's it. You have to you ha- you have to look at this. Um, and I mean, fortunately, the you know the diagnostic itself is fairly inexpensive. Mm-hmm. Um, there's lots of things you know from a lifestyle perspective. It, even just going back to what we've been talking about, it even if we're just doing light and water, let's say, um, we're already creating conditions where we're detoxifying metals. Um, right. I think there if if there are just like a pieces of the history that point to high exposure, it would be relevant then to do some, some further testing. Awesome. Um, I'm wondering if this would lead into some fasting. Cause I believe um, mm. if you want to talk about fasting and autophagy, cause I think that's also a, a discussion of 
you know, that liposomal clearance of crap out of the cell. Yeah. 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 I think, you know, the, this fasting mimicking diet that, that Walter Longo, he's a, a researcher at West came up with, um, and they were able to show dramatic changes in inflammation levels with this, this five day fasting mimicking diet. And, and yeah, the stimulation of this, this autophagy response, which is essentially cellular recycling. It's taking damaged cells that are no longer functioning properly and creating a healthy cell again. Um, you know, these are, these are two, two mechanisms that we need to harness when we're, when we're healing our, our pain stories. Um, so it, it really is just a matter of eating an ultra low calorie diet over five days. And, and then you do like a 25 day sort of regular diet. Um, we, we would do something here that's high calories again, but it's, it's more along the lines of an anti-inflammatory diet. Um, and then you go and you just keep cycling that you do another five days of, of fasting and 25 days of refeeding um, until their pain resolves and they're sort of get into a maintenance phase. So does the fasting include uh, hydration, Ben? <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. You, you would do that hydration protocol in day one and two of the five day fast and you carry forth the, the fasting mimicking diet until the, the five days is up. Um, and then, yeah. And then you would continue you know, the, your water is, is, uh, is a staple for sure throughout, throughout the whole thing. Yeah. It's just interesting. Cause some people, you know, even, uh, I guess more spiritual derived kinds of fasting, there's often no water. And I always thought, um, <clears throat> if it's just for like biochemistry health, not like mm-hmm. a spiritual uh, thing, I always thought it probably makes sense to have water during this, during this process too. And Ben, do you think, is it the, is it, Overall, in that five days, is it the caloric restriction or is it an actual, um, is the period of a fasted state more or as important? Um, yeah, I think, I think it's both. So are, are you asking, Kara, if, it's, if it's, it's, it's a low-calorie diet more that, that's important? Yeah, is it like the caloric deficit or do you need to have a certain amount of time without calories at all? Right. Right, right, right. Yeah, like I, I think it's, I think it's both. Um, you know, we, we see the difference even between three days and five days is profound. You know, three day fasts are giving a certain level of, of results, but five days are dramatically more. So there's something that happens with time in, in a fasted state that's important. Um, and I think we also have to re- remember too, like we're, we're also in this, we're, we're not eating a lot of calorie, but we're also taking out a lot of the foods that are driving inflammation to begin with, right? We're, right. we're in those five days, we're eating way fewer carbs, we're eating way fewer sugar, we're eating or drinking less pop, less juice. We're, you know, right. there, there are things that we're taking out to that, you know, are, are important players in, in the, the pain conversation. Um, and you're also so improving insulin and improving the gut, improving hormones. and Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and you get all these benefits sort of coalescing into one one outcome. Um, but it's it's simple and it's free, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. There's maybe a little bit of discomfort uh, in that at that sort of forty eight hour mark where your body's readjusting to this low calorie environment. But you know, no dishes too, right? <laughs> no, <laughs> exactly. Skip the dishes, yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, you know, so all of a sudden, if you combine all these th- things together, right, uh, some proper light, some proper breathing, some proper water, a little bit of fasting, and you haven't really invested anything yet, right? You've gotten a little bit of education from someone, but you haven't spent much money and, and you could be 50 to 75% on your way. Um, our bodies are amazing. Yeah, we're sort of getting out of your own way, right? Like you're just recreating conditions that are um, sort of fundamental for, for health. And we we just sort of get out of our own way. Like I think you you knew this far before I did then, but it's like the body's got this amazing sort of innate wisdom. And if you just let it do its things, it's a hell of a lot smarter than me or you or Kara. No offense. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's, it's, it, we just need to get out of our own way a lot of time. And then yeah. uh, this fasting thing and this eating thing, like I've even just started to eat less uh, recently. And like, I just feel lighter. Um, and I haven't dropped much like in terms of weight, but man, it makes a big difference. And like, uh, like my, my guts are working way better. And I think I was just eating too much, even though it was good food, I was just eating too much. Um, yeah. and I feel like yeah. that's a big part of this whole thing too, is that maybe I was just overfeeding, uh, the bugs and you know, when, when things are just overdone, then there's going to be like, uh, scavengers, <laughs> you know, in nature yeah. scavengers. Yeah. And I felt like I was probably feeding a bunch of bugs that thrived on over consumption, and and even just uh, pulling back on maybe eating, I just eat like twice a day and maybe less food. And the quality of food I'm eating hasn't really changed. It's made a massive difference. And so you just extrapolate that to what you're doing. Um, you know, the three day, five day thing. I I don't know. I'm kind of scared to do it, but I I <laughs> I like not doing the dishes. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. And and it's it, it sort of it reminds me of of how like sleep is also tying into the story, right? When we're eating less, I've been amazed at patients and, and even my own sleep architecture, how it improves when I'm, I'm not eating, or I'm being, eating a very light supper and certainly nothing after 6 p.m. Like my deep sleep, um, where our bodies are, are repairing themselves, right? Where our joints are, are repairing themselves, um, is is facilitated by this this fasted state i've had i'm i'm measuring my 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 sleep at night with a a very simple sleep tracker and i my my deep sleep where where we're repairing ourselves doubles when i'm in a fasted state so i'm i'm getting a hundred percent more healing to my joints and my muscles and my brain etc um when i'm following this diet that we're talking about so i mean yeah, the, you, you could you could go on and on about how the value of, of that that simple intervention, right? Mm-hmm. But it, it just makes sense, Ben. You know what I mean? Like it is, all sounds like wow, crazy. But like even oh, just yeah. look at things from like a anthropological biology. Would we have been, uh, you know, when we came from simpler times, running around trying to kill things to eat, and you know, rummaging around to get berries? And would we have been doing that at night? No, we're not, we're not nocturnal. Like it only makes sense uh, even from that perspective, from like where we came from. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I couldn't agree more. Um, You know, we have these built in mechanisms that have have evolved and are designed to, to keep us well. And like you said, we just have to get out of the way, right? We just need to, 
need to let nature do its thing. And I think part of this podcast is we're trying to show it what we actually do as naturopaths. And I think when you, uh, I think that's a, it's not that we treat things naturally. It's that we get out of the way is really what a good naturopathic clinician will do. It's not that we're adding all these. Sometimes we do, we add some cool natural things, but really we're finding ways to get out of the way. And I think you've highlighted that really well. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think if, if we could go here just for a sec, guys, if, if we have, if we have the time, I, oh, in do. terms of this, in terms of this, uh, Kara's having a great way. time. She's got time. So, so <laughs> lay it on. Yeah, us. We're not letting you off yet. Cause I have, we have more on our list here. <laughs> we, I think, you know, that this is where, you know, getting out of the way of glyphosate becomes even more important, right? Um, there's, there's been a, exponential increase in in the use of glyphosate over the last 20 years 30 years and and we're seeing now how this this glyphosate molecule is interrupting um, our collagen and our joint surfaces and our gut lining and and this is simple too right i mean the exposure is ubiquitous but you know, just making some simple changes in terms of the foods that we're, we're deciding to put in our mouths, um, we can dra- dramatically decrease that specific burden. Um, but I think it's just another reason, you know, that the glyphosate epidemic, oh, I'll call it, is definitely coinciding with, with the prevalence of, of, of pain. Um, we, we just need to there are a lot of sort of philosophical arguments for eating organic, right? But for me, that that is by far the most important one. So for our listeners so yeah, who might not yeah, have yeah. heard of glyphosate, can you um, just give us a quick primer and how you reduce it in the diet, if so, possible? So glyphosate is the main is the main chemical in the herbicide Roundup, and there are all these Roundup ready crops, corn and soy uh, specifically that are being covered in this herbicide and and yeah the the amount the percentage of glyphosate found in our foods like i was just looking at a report for for a presentation not too too long ago um cheerios um through the roof cashew bars through the roof um cornflakes through the roof like the the amount of glyphosate we're consuming in some of these really common um, foods are, are, are scary, but um, the way most children start their day. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Exactly. I mean, orange juice, uh, four out of four orange juice tested all contain glyphosate. Um, think about how many people are doing a little bit of OJ, a little bit of cereal every morning. They're, they're essentially they're You're having a glyphosate breakfast and, mm-hmm. and this chemical is, <sighs> It's, it's, it's pervasive and, and hugely problematic to, to our systems. Yeah. Like these are just specifics of that. I have that. I mean, you can go, you can go a little bit astray when you make things too simple, but I basically tell everyone getting rid of bad things is more important than adding good things, you know, and this, yeah, 100%. this seems like the scene, like you, this is like a, a whole, a lesson basically of, 
uh, specific details that are related to that basic concept. And it goes also yeah. back to that that thing that probably a lot of people think of naturopaths is don't eat gluten, uh, just like drink more water. And maybe a lot of that, the benefit that comes out of that, again, is just how laden it is with glyphosate. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, we need to, along with the fasting, along with the light, along with the water, we, we need to really be focusing in on organic as best we can. Um, and, and knowing that it's not going to, you know, prevent 100% exposure, but it's going to prevent 90% of it. And we're still going to yeah, be just, in. Just minimize it. I mean, I, I remember, I don't know if, it, Ben, you were one or two years ahead of us in school, but um, one of the things uh, we got taught in nutrition is they were sort of like debunking this. Organic has doesn't have more nutrients than um, than conventionally right. raised crops. And I was like, well, that's not the point. The point exactly. is it doesn't have the shit in it. You know, like that's the, yeah. that's the most important uh, part about it. And I feel like um, you know, when you want to look at things a certain way, then you can draw a certain conclusion. But this basic concept of getting out of the way of water, getting out of the way of not enough light, getting out of the way of, of uh, you know, contaminants and things like that. That's, I think that, I don't know, I'm learning this from you uh, even more just talking to you, Ben, is that getting out of our own way is like the the foundation uh, upon which you can get a little bit fancier if needed. Yeah. Yeah. You can't, you can't do the fancy before you get out of the way. You, it, it, there's no point. Um, you're you're going to waste time and you're going to waste money and, and you're going to waste energy. Um, you got to get simple. And then once you have these conditions created, then you can, then you can do the, IV vitamin C infusions or the MSM vitamin IVs and, hmm. you know, you can do your turmeric, you know, three times per day. And it's th then, then you can, then you can get a little bit more specific and talk about the trees, but yeah, you got to, you got to invest in the boring stuff first. And patience, right? Like how not uh, patience with the CE at the end, like how, how do you uh, keep your people patient enough and perseverance, all these sort of, you know, these are traits of success, I guess, anyway. But, like, um, how do you keep people, you know, involved in the process knowing that it might not be, well, it won't be an overnight success? Yeah, oh, it's such a good question. And, and I'm, I'm sure I've failed as many times as I've succeeded with, with engaging people over the long term, I, I find it one of the most difficult things to do in my practice for sure. Um, but I think if, if I've learned anything, it's, it's the importance of being clear about the, the plan, right? How can, how can you, how can you communicate the importance of the short-term interventions as well as you communicate the importance of the long-term interventions? Mm -hmm. So, um, you have to, you have to sort of re-educate and, and, and shift someone's mind around, how long this is going to take. Um, that, that person we talked about at the beginning, one of the first things that I told him, that hockey player we were talking about, um, is that this is going to take 12 months. And I could see him sort of sink a little bit. And then I sort of had to big, build him up uh, in terms of sort of laying out the plan and how I was going to get him there. And then that he was going to notice benefits month by month, but that it was going to take time. And, and it's way better to 
overestimate, right? How long it's going to take someone to get well than, than underestimate. Mm-hmm. I'd love to get to, um, you've, you mentioned to us, us uh, a exercise you do with your patients. And I think bringing in just some more mental, emotional, spiritual mm-hmm. aspects of pain uh, might be, is always important. Uh, so yeah, how do you approach that aspect? Yeah, so I think, you know, we know that that pain will be worse when cortisol is depleted. Our main stress hormone is our most potent anti-inflammatory. It's, it's why we feel good with, with prednisone, right? Prednisone is uh, it's working on the same mechanism, but, but cortisol, when being secreted by the adrenals healthily, will neutralize a lot of the, the pain that we experience. Um, but it's with chronic stress and unresolved emotional conflicts that we get into situations with our, our cortisol levels where they become just so deficient that they can't keep up with the level of inflammation that's being produced. So one of the things that we do right off the bat is we try to identify with patients what what emotions and what sort of negative belief systems do you carry moment to moment through your day that feel like baggage, that feel that feel heavy to you? And so that sparks a conversation around um, whether it's a difficult relationship or stress at work or unresolved childhood traumas. Um, these are the things that are operating in the background, like too many tabs open on a computer, right? That, that just that drain the system and can sabotage our work with pain. You know, I, you know, I, two, two or more childhood traumas set us up, double our risk of rheumatoid arthritis um, mm-hmm. in our adult years. And, and it, it, it's just one, one example of how when we carry feelings of not being good enough or fear or uh, feelings of, of, of lack of safety um, or security, it's, it's priming our biochemistry for, for pain. So, yeah, so we, we, we have to figure out how, how do we meet these, these questions, right? What, what tool do we, do we use in order to, to help resolve some of these emotional conflicts? And we, we use, um, I'm sure you guys have heard of tapping before, mm-hmm. um, tapping or mental field therapy was what I was, it was called when I was training with it. But uh, it's a, it's a beautiful system that helps us enter into where these conflicts exist in our subconscious and, and uh, work at resolving them and letting them go. But the medicine produced in the body when we do this is enough to heal any arthritis picture out there. It's, it's just, you have to do this at the same time of all this as, as we do these other lifestyle things. Mm-hmm. I think uh, we've gone through quite a list. Um, yeah. And is there anything else that are kind of, you know, keystone pieces that we haven't got to? Um, I mean, I, no, I think we've done a good job, Kara. The, we, we've talked a little bit about the gut, and, and I would just add there maybe the, the importance of, of talking with your practitioner about 
intestinal permeability and how that is one of the foundational pieces too, right? Where, where we're getting, where infections and toxins become more systemically problematic as opposed right. to just locally problematic. Um, and uh, yeah, but that, all, all of that is touched on in some of the stuff that we've talked about. If we're, if we're controlling cortisol because we're dealing with the unresolved fear and anxiety, you know, we know our tight junctions are, are healing up. If we're avoiding glyphosate um, because we're eating organic, we know our tight junctions are firming up. Um, if we're drinking enough water, you know, we know, we know that's supporting the lining of the gut. So I, I, think, I think in a roundabout way, we, we touched on that too. The only thing we didn't talk about was, is hormones, <laughs> yeah, uh, which is my uh, my favorite uh, component. But, One hour in, and yeah. you want to you want to uh, bring up hormones? But I but I actually think that Ben's already resolved them because you've talked a lot about co- uh, collagen, and I know how important estrogen is to collagen. But I would say if our listeners are doing the steps that you have talked about today. Um, they're going to be addressing their hormones all at the same time, which is the beauty of it all. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think, you know, I've, I've certainly learned that if, if we can just look at this cortisol piece, um, testosterone, yeah. estrogen, progesterone, it, it's amazing the the beautiful repatterning that happens there um, mm-hmm. with these other sex hormones just by by controlling that one guy. Yeah, the the symphony happens when you you support the foundation. So, um, fantastic, Doctor Ben, Doctor Dave. Do you have any closing thoughts? Isn't he great? I yes. <laughs> I feel like we could go on. Like, to talk to you guys and see your yeah. faces. Um, yeah, likewise. Yeah, and I feel fun. like we could do a bunch of topics with Ben. Um, yeah, let's that do was, that. Yeah, we maybe we can get him on the on the hook to do another one. We'll go more in depth on one or two things. But uh, Ben, thank you so much. Uh, I always learn uh, from you, and I hope everyone learns some of the basic core stuff that you're doing and how important it is. And I think any naturopath um, listening is actually going to get something out of this too. So thank you so much for all you bring uh, to our show and to the profession too. Yeah, no problem, guys. I feel the same for you. Thank you for all your work and uh, this conversation. This has been a good way of starting Monday. I agree. All right. Thanks, Dr. Ben. We will chat to you soon, no doubt. Okay. That Naturopathic Podcast. TNP. Hello there.